Hello and welcome to The Stack. On today's show, we feature three fascinating titles and we speak with the editors behind them. German surf and travel title Waves and Woods, a modern miniatures magazine called Shrunk, and a peek through some listening habits on the super cool record magazine. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack. 30 minutes of print industry analysis and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We start the show with a stunning surf and travel title from Germany, Waves and Woods. With a beautiful format, the appealing title makes you dream. I spoke with their editor-in-chief, Lars Jakobsen, to find out more about the title. So we are on the market since, yeah, now six years. And um, the magazine is all about, yeah, what the title says, Waves and Woods. So it's about surfing. That was the main focus of the magazine. And then we blew it up to the outdoor part as well. Surfing has always to do something with traveling, with being in the nature, with, um, yeah, it's not all about the wave itself. It's also about the woods you drive through when you want to explore new surfing, surfing spots. The idea came up quite a while ago, maybe 10 years ago already. And um, back then I was working as an editor-in-chief for a German surfing magazine, and it was all about surfing. And I worked there for almost 20 years at the end and um, I became not sick of writing about surfing or covering surfing but I wanted more and I um, had the feeling that the German German surfing scene which was pretty small when we started it grew with us and people were not only focused on pure surfing but also on the travel part and stuff so I put this woods part in there and um, it's seems to work now year number six so we're still up and running and i think he works very well as well that very much so the magazine is definitely not just about surfing but surfing is also like a lifestyle so you, you know it's almost natural actually to talk more about the culture of places you know kind of travel it's almost unique in that sense uh, when you compare to other kind of sports uh, something like that Right. Yeah. Surfing is, is absolutely unique. And the lifestyle itself, I mean, we have like skateboarding and snowboarding, which comes close to it and which have a similar lifestyle and which is connected to surfing. But other than that, it's pretty unique out there in terms of a sport. And it's yeah, more like a lifestyle than a actual sport, I guess, for many people. But um, yeah, surfing uh, developed over the years. And now it's like there's a surfing league, which is highly professional with proper athletes. And everyone knows Kelly Slater. This guy just turned 50, I guess. 50 years is just 50 years old. And he just won this famous pipeline surf contest in Hawaii. And the first time he won it was 30 years ago. So this guy is probably the most successful sports athlete in the world. But besides that, it's surfing is way more than, than just the sport itself. And Lars, tell us uh, which kind of stories, I mean, can someone expect from Waves and Woods? I mean, first of all, I was very much impressed with the photography. I mean, it, it's stunning, you know, the, and I think this is actually very important as well when you talk about surf, because again, the imagery around surf is beautiful. And I think Waves and Woods continue that uh, beautifully. But tell us a bit, perhaps some of the features in this latest issue that 
my interest people? Yeah, first of all, we uh, really focused on running great, great uh, photography from the best photographers from our scene. So we are constantly searching for yeah the best images, which is not always easy in terms of the internet we have with Instagram and stuff. So we kind of have to do extra the extra work to get get beautiful images together and be be different to the or like try to get something why people should buy this magazine instead of uh, skipping through Instagram, for example. So that's why we take extra care there to feature the best photographers in the world. And on the other side, it's not all, also uh, only about photography. It's also about like the travel parts. We have some travel stories in there, uh, travel stories which should motivate people to get out there, to travel again, to uh, explore the world. And then we feature artists like um, between each big story in the magazine, we have um, an image from an artist. We pick them randomly and um, just print their work between all the big features. And at the end of the magazine, we have an interview with that artist. Then we have many stories about uh, sustainability. We try to um, highlight yeah, topics which are not known so far in our surfing and outdoor world. Like we try to feature stories about like in, in the next issue, we have got a story about the forests of Romania. They're pretty much untouched in Europe. They're the last proper big untouched forests and nobody really knows about them. And um, yeah, we have a long story with a um, pretty, yeah, with a professor who's taking care of these forests. So it's a, it's a deep story about it. And then we had some stories about river systems where, where some governments wanted to destroy them and build some dams to produce energy. But if they just build these dams, these river systems are destroyed forever. Nobody really know about these uh, river systems and um, we wanted to highlight them and bring them in focus. And yeah, that's how we kind of look for our sustainability stories. I love the Iswatini uh, story. That's quite unique as well. Right, yeah. They, we had a story about two guys, two adventurous uh, journalists. They, um, they um, went through Eswatini by bike and um, they went just through the whole country and um, did some camping at the, at the side of the road. And they had some snake encounters and they got in touch with the culture and the people and these kind of stories. These are the woods kind of stories again. They have nothing to do with surfing. And that's the stories, I guess, which are surprising for our readership because first of all, they think it's kind of a surfing magazine, but then they get stories from a totally different world, but they can connect to it because everyone wants to do these remote adventurous kind of travel stories by themselves. So that's how we think and how to how we try to get everything together in, in this one issue. So. Lars, when it comes to the business side of things, is uh, of course the magazine is in German. Do you have more subscriptions or do you have a lot of kind of selling points uh, in Germany? Or, or I wonder if any other German speaking country as well. We finance it through subscriptions, through direct sales and through advertisements we sell. And um, these are the three main income sources we have 
And um, when we started it, I thought about why shouldn't we run it also in English, like have a German version and an English version or German and English text in one issue. And I thought, uh, let's first focus on the German market because I, I worked in that print print market in, in Germany. I knew some customers and um, advertisement partners and thought, okay, we go first on that market, uh, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, where they speak German. And um, then if this magazine somehow should grow and uh, works out, then we still can run it in English. And we slowly but surely come up to a point where we may also run an English version soon. We're not quite sure if we should do a, a German and English text in one issue or like separate issues. Both ways will be a lot of work and um, we cost some money. So, but yeah, we, we, we come to that point where we may blew it up uh, more onto an international site. Please do it. You have you have a reader here already. If if it's going to become in English, although let's be honest, I mean Germany is still such a strong and big market, right? Uh, the biggest country in Europe. I think it's also you know it's good to keep it in German as well. Right, right, right. That's why we started it in German exactly because of that. We have so many Germans out there, and um, I guess there are still customers out there, especially in the German market, who are connected to print magazines these days. I mean this. All this printing is, is slowly but surely everyone knows it. It's getting less and less interesting for the financial financial parts. But um, I guess if you go in a complete different direction than the internet is going, like if you produce something with quality paper, with a, like the magazine you have is like almost one kilo heavy. It's like thick paper and has a soft touch, soft touch lamination. If you work that way and you produce timeless stories, I guess print will survive for a long, long time. Thank you very much, Lars. And their new issue is out now. And now we welcome back a stack friend, Carl Henkel from Record Magazine. The title features in-depth interviews with musicians about their music and personal tastes as well. It's always a good read. For issue 10, they feature, among others, DJ Harvey, Max Asse, and Pierre Rousseau. Let's find out more with Carl. First of all, yeah, thanks for having me back. It's our 10th issue, and while we, we didn't want to sort of, yeah, get hung up on that point too much in a sort of self-celebratory manner, especially given the state of the world, which, I mean, when we put out the issue was that time still sort of only COVID and now we have like the Ukrainian crisis and I mean it just sort of obviously overshadows everything else and for good reason but we're, we're still um, striking a bit of a celebratory tone and I think um, just putting out a print magazine in this time is like an, an optimistic sort of thing to do and yeah but putting together issue 10 was a lot of fun and we've got a lot of personal idols in there that were a lot of fun to talk to and I think given the sort of times we've been in hopefully it just offers people some distraction or solace or yeah just sort of delve into other people's stories and laugh a little and stuff like that. One of the things that fascinates me about record, and I think it's quite rare these days, I mean, 
it's the in-depth kind of interviews. It's very much long format. You feel that you understand so much about the musician and, and their inspiration. This is very rare because even when you read profiles in, in magazines, sometimes it's more about the journalist himself or herself than, mm. than, than the artist. So I think that's quite interesting. And I think that's one of the reasons why record does well. So is that your idea? Let, let's, let's think about it when you decided to launch record magazine is that what you wanted to hear as a music fan yeah I, I think I wanted to hear directly from the artists themselves and and that's that's what we try and do with the magazine I mean we interview people for for quite a long time like sometimes two or three hours sometimes multiple times depending what what the situation allows and stuff and then we spend a lot of time editing down and sort of just trying to distill the essence of what they're saying, not sort of get in between their words. We don't want to, we, we always want to sort of present people and their tone of voice so that you almost read it and hear the person's voice um, through their words. So you'll, you'll perhaps notice that our interviews aren't as cleaned up as others. You'll see words like, you know, and uh, sort of like words that you slip into conversation to give em emphasis and um, that kind of give hints to all sorts of things like where the person's from and so on. So, um, yeah, it, it's all about sort of 100% unfiltered talk from the artists. Like we, we give cues and sort of shape the conversation with questions, but... Yeah, we, we try and let the artists speak for themselves. I have to say, it takes me a long time actually to read record because <laughs> I, I stop and start all the <laughs> time it. because sometimes, you know, I don't know, DJ Harvey mentioned a name where it's like, oh, I don't know actually that person. Then I go and try to listen to their music. And I think it's quite, it feels like a sensorial experience, at least for me reading a record in a way. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's cool to hear. And I mean, yeah, you're right that every interview has in it a lot of touch points, like maybe someone mentioning like their favorite album, you know, like people call out just all these specific things of parties they went to um, when they were coming up, like books, records, all sorts of things. So it does provide sort of a lot of like, fertile ground for further research and like other things you might be interested in so that's that's definitely what we hope people do and sort of create their own like playlist or so of like books and music and whatever people mention um yeah there's a lot a lot of wormholes you can go down give us an overview of issue 10 in terms of the characters that we'll be able to find in the title i mean the cover is amazing, DJ Harvey and, and his incredible Hawaiian shirt as well. I need to <laughs> I, I need to check it out. Where did he buy this one? But uh, <laughs> give it's, us an overview. Yeah, I mean, having DJ Harvey in the issue for one is sort of, I mean, someone that's very important and sort of like a cult figure in the underground dance music scene has almost been like, a very obvious one to have on our wish list for the last 10 issues and it just felt right to have him in issue 10 rather than in a previous issue though um he's always been on our minds and i mean just the shot with him in his big sort of 
yellow banana colored um, surfboard, which she actually custom made with a surfboard shaper in Los Angeles, just kind of struck the tone that we wanted for this issue. It's for, for us, it's always about like a fun, upbeat image to lead the issue. And we don't know what that's going to be to start off with. We, we get all the shoots back and then decide. And this one just sort of took the cake and won out. But um, yeah, he has an interesting story to tell. Um, but um, moving on, we've got an artist called Sophie from Vienna, who I've been really enjoying her album Cult Survivor, which came out on Stone's Throw last year. I found out about her through Public Possession, who were in a previous issue, um, the shop and record label from Munich. So that's also a way that a lot of these people come about in that they're interconnected with those in previous issues. So it's very much a process of coming across new names and other people start to make sense as the issues go along. We've got Yun Takahashi, who's an interesting one. He's the founder of Undercover, the clothing label from, from Tokyo. And I mean, quite a big name for us to have in the issue um, as sort of one of the leading names in streetwear and fashion and kind of always a crossover that we want to have in the magazine, like that one with fashion and music. In the past, we've had people like Christophe Lemaire or Michel Gobert. Just having that crossover is in the DNA of the magazine. So, um, yeah, it was great to have him. Um, we've got Stiggy Devriant, who's the founder of a record label called, pronounced correctly, Strum, um, S-T-R-O-O-M from Belgium. It's just a super interesting label that's that's been out for quite a few years now, about five years, and he's done just an astounding amount of interesting reissues. And he's sort of a really respected person in the, in the music scene. DJ Sunday is from Paris. He um, helped put together the Sky Girl compilation a few years ago, which was just a really influential compilation of like folk inspired music from various eras. And that's almost made like a music genre of its own in um, record stores. We've got Pedro Winter, who you mentioned, he is the founder of Ed Banger Records and the former manager of Daft Punk. I've always been inspired by what Pedro does, but um, with the breakup of Daft Punk last year, it seemed like an especially good time to sort of talk to him and hear about his beginnings as, as their manager in their sort of meteoric rise to fame. And then with Ed Banger, who for me, Ed Banger is really what I associate him with, not Daft Punk. And it was interesting that to hear through his interview that it's more the other way around for him, that most people in his life have known him for his connection to Daft Punk and he's sort of building his own thing after that whole saga. It's a great lineup, let's let's be honest. And and Carl, I've checked on your website. I mean, but tell me, is that the case that you have a is there a record store in Berlin? Yes, um, <laughs> there is now. So um, since we moved to Berlin um, and sort of opened an office here in July last year, we did our first sort of pop-up shop 
around Christmas time last year. Um, that was the, the record holiday market and we got such a good response and it was so much fun to do that we decided to keep it going as a regular store that's open Fridays and Saturdays. And so it's housed within our office. It's a small shop space that um, houses all our merchandise and back issues and um, some things from friends of the magazine and those that have been in it sort of have clothing, like merchandise lines of their own and stuff. And it's just been um, a great way to meet some of our readers as well. Thank you very much, Carl. Finally on the show, Shrunk Magazine, edited by Kat Picot. It's a treat of a title. It's totally dedicated to miniatures, from micro-scale beach scenes to a DIY course on how to make a miniature plant with clay. Kat tells me more about the idea to start the magazine. Yeah, I got the bug really quite early on. So um, in my hometown, it's Faversham in Kent in the UK. There was a specialist doll tail shop opened when I was about 14 years old. And um, it just really just captured my imagination, the window displays and just, you know, it was just every everything you could imagine inside in miniature. And it was, you know, ranging from the kind of pocket money sort of items through to the really, really high end, like artisan maids, you know, a little chest of drawers that's like a Chippendale replica for sort of 300 pounds. And I ended up working there as the Saturday girl for two years until they closed down. And um, it was, I think still, I mean, I'm 35 now, it's still maybe the best job I ever had. <laughs> and just really, it, yeah, I just I really, really just fell for dolls, houses and miniatures in a big way. Um, and it's sort of always been a passion for mine since then. I mean, I kind of have put it down and picked it up as a hobby throughout most of my adult life. Kind of when I went off to university, didn't take the dolls houses with me because I didn't want to be that strange girl in halls with the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the dolls houses and everything. But um, so when I left university and I was job hunting, I kind of found myself back at my parents and sort of saw my doll's house in the corner and I was like oh you know well I need to keep myself entertained while I'm it was during the recession and I was like I'll just um you know just to keep me busy really so I started a blog and was like you know I'll I'll do a project every week and I'll share it and um it was when like blogger like blogspot was sort of the the platform to be on and uh yeah so I kind of it all sort of sparked from there really so I did that for a year and got a little bit of a just connected with kind of other collectors and makers and had a little sort of e-commerce store on and off for a few years um, around whatever day job I was doing and then fast forward to 2020 so I just I'd finished my um, lifestyle journalism masters I just moved to Brighton to start a new job and then the pandemic hit and so three weeks into the new job I was made redundant as was my partner from the job that he'd started and yeah, I mean, I really, I'd been thinking, like, I kind of wanted to wind down the e-commerce store and just get back to writing and just, um, you know, so I think sometimes the danger of monetizing your hobbies, like, it can suck the joy out of it a little bit. As, you know, I really just wanted to kind of, yeah, just go back to a bit more editorial approach. So... I was like, well, maybe I'll go back to blogging. I was like, well, no, I really love print. And having just done the masters, I was like, you know, I'd really doing a magazine had always been on my bucket list. And then with the pandemic, I was like, well, I've really run out of excuses in terms of not having enough time. So yeah, the idea for Shrunk kind of came through that phase of just having an awful lot of downtime and just having 
well, the luxury to really just think on it and think like, you know, this is probably a one time opportunity in terms of like having this much time to dedicate to like a passion project. So yeah, that's kind of the moment that it's uh, kind of began really. And then I ended up launching through a Kickstarter, which um, was funded within the first 24 hours. I really didn't expect that at all. And it continues to be true actually the the huge majority of um, readers and support has come from the United States which yeah I really wasn't anticipating but it's, it's been very welcome um so it's ended up being sort of yeah quite an international readership which has been lovely. Well perhaps because there was something missing in the market because clearly there's a lot of people around the world that are interested in miniatures and again I might be wrong but I have a feeling that people that likes especially making miniatures, I'm sure they would enjoy the act of going and buying a magazine, a physical product as well. I think, you know, I think there's a connection in there. Definitely. I mean, I did, because um, I mean, I love print and I, I love, I mean, yeah, I love holding a magazine and just uh, having a really sort of a lovely quality paper and just having lovely images to flick through and just having that time away from a screen. So when I was kind of dreaming up the magazine I was I really wasn't thinking of like a digital offering at all I was thinking purely within like you know a printed format but then quite quickly was getting quite a lot of messages from people being like, oh you know the you know and the shipping is extortionate I mean like after the printing cost shipping is just <laughs> like astronomical so there, there is a digital version just as a more economical option for kind of people especially the Australians because I mean it's like three times the cost of the magazine <laughs> so I was hugely grateful when everybody that far afield is ordering but yeah just having having the printed a beautiful magazine that you don't immediately throw away I mean there are there are other magazines sort of on the hobby I think with any hobby there's like a special interest or something they've been going a long time um you know and I, I've really enjoyed them and you know really appreciate their work as well but I think just having something that's a bit more that kind of bound spine that you can kind of keep and like almost have as a coffee table book. That was kind of what I was like imagining when I was kind of planning it. So yeah, it's, we're four, four issues down now, currently working on issue five. And do you, do you make miniatures as well? I mean, I know you're a big fan, but do, do you do that in your spare time? I don't know, in the weekend or, or, or um, and if you can tell me what's the latest thing you've done? Yes. Um, yes. So historically, yeah, I really enjoyed making just sort of very, amateur level when we've kind of been in a bind with deadlines I've for a couple of them I've kind of you know I've produced a project like a DIY project for the magazine myself so it's kind of divided between like editorial features and then like project ideas and like kind of step-by-step -step instructions so people can make miniatures but for myself so my partner and I are living back in Brighton and then since launching Shrunk we've also uh, had a baby girl who uh, is my, my latest mini um, so she's, she's your proper she's, miniature. Yeah, so she's really, um, yeah, been my main focus, obviously, at the moment. But we're yeah, hoping to kind of get back to just enjoying the hobby a bit more for myself and uh, kind of, yeah, working on my own doll's house. But it really, if I am making anything, I really love to make sofas. There's something about tiny upholstery and just like tiny armchairs and tiny sofas that just I really love especially when they're done well, there's a couple of makers out there that just do such fantastic jobs. And it's, I think for me personally, and also when I was launching the magazine, it's really, that's kind of there's an aspirational element. So kind of any, in terms of like furniture and interiors, I'm like, well, you know, we can't afford that or we can't fit it in the flat. So I'll just make it 
tiny and have it in the doll's house. And that does seem to definitely be, especially in kind of makers and collectors kind of in a similar age group to myself, like that does tend to be the trend. They're like, oh, we know I really wanted this in real life, but that will never happen. So we'll make it a miniature or like, you know, if there's just something that you think is fantastic, but you know, it just wouldn't be practical. You just couldn't live with it in real life. You can just, you know, let your imagination run riot and make these tiny little worlds. Thank you very much, Kat. That's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Nora Hall. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpandmonaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at the same time. And of course, you can always listen to it again at monaco.com or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you. It is called It's a Small World. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. Thank you.